Hello, I'm Jeremy Allaire, and this is The Money Movement, a show where we explore the issues and ideas uh, driving this brave new world of digital currency and blockchains. Um, now, since our last episode in, in mid-December, there's just been just a breathtaking amount of, of activity in the crypto space. Um, there's been, uh, you know, obviously just this incredible growth in, in what's happening with digital currency. And um, it's been obviously really inspiring. Uh, and I think just on the whole, <clears throat> all of us can, can see increasingly that, you know, crypto is just lurching, you know, further and further into the mainstream. And I think um, this is obviously like, you know, on a broader basis, uh, driving more interest, that interest is surging. It's not just on the investing side, it's really people trying to understand, you know, what, uh, you know, what this change really represents. Um, uh, you know, we have obviously like these store value assets and, and we have uh, an, an incredible amount of, of, of interest around that, but there's more fundamental things that are happening. And I think it's really easy to get focused on things like the price or the investment thesis in, in these underlying assets. And, and while I think that's really important, um, I think the much more interesting thing to focus on, and I think a lot of why so many of us got involved in, in crypto um, over the you know, past decade um, is the real transformation that this can bring uh, you know, to the world. And um, I think kicking off you know, 2021, uh, I wanted to kind of widen out the lens uh, a bit uh, and explore more of the big picture, social, political, kind of economic impacts of crypto. I, I know for me, um, when I got involved in this, um, you know, back in, in 2012 and, and early 2013, the, there were a lot of light bulbs that went off about what this infrastructure represented and what it could represent in terms of changing the way economic activity yeah, and, and human organization happened. And so I think, you know, when, when I, when I kind of zoom out like that, um, the sort of this rapidly accelerating adoption of, of blockchains and cryptocurrencies are really just like early indicators for, and, and obviously enablers for what I think is ultimately a much, much larger global social and economic transformation. And, uh, you know, crypto infrastructure itself offers a radically new infrastructure uh, on which to construct social and economic institutions. Um, in many ways, it creates a new kind of fabric for how individuals collectively work, how they work to create things, how they work to share value, and ultimately is, is giving birth to, we're already seeing it giving birth to new kinds of corporate forms um, that were, are only really made possible by crypto and that offer the potential for human economic freedom that uh, even conceptually and literally transcends the legacy nation state system and, and forges this new path for how people uh, and society can organize themselves. So this week, um, I'm really excited to explore all of this and, and really excited to be joined uh, by two innovative leaders and thinkers from the crypto world who are envisioning you know, what this world could become as we keep building. Uh, Balaji uh, Srinivasan, 
the story tech entrepreneur, innovator, disruptor, futurist, uh, <laughs> and, and Ian Lee, who will be joining us in a little bit, who's, a, 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 I think, a fantastic thinker, a builder, investor, uh, are gonna be, is going to be joining in a bit for this conversation. But, you know, I just first uh, want to kick things off with you, Balaji. Welcome. Hey, great to be here. Yeah, it's awesome. Awesome to have you on. I, I know just before the show, we were talking about uh, last time we, we chatted and stuff, but I, I wanted to actually just start um, and thank you, actually, uh, and, and just just offer uh, my gratitude because I don't know how many people, uh, you know, are aware, but, you know, you obviously played a, a really, really pivotal role in, uh, in what became USDC. And, um, you know, for, for folks that don't know the history, uh, you know, Coinbase and Circle obviously collaborated together to launch USDC over two years ago, uh, almost really started like two and a half years ago. And Balaji was really, I think, just an incredible uh, person to collaborate with in, in making that happen. And I, I think, you know, it wouldn't have happened without you. And, um, and, and I think uh, we're, we're all really proud of that. And I, again, I just want to first just offer my gratitude and thanks because you've been a really big part of that. Well, I, I appreciate that. And you guys, yeah, that was absolutely a team effort, um, you know, and uh, I was, I was really proud to work with you folks. You built a great, you know, initial smart contract. And I think, um, you know, that was quite a sprint. We did that in about 30 days, as I recall, um, and not much sleep on my side and, and probably not much yours on, on yours. Um, but that was a great launch. And um, I really think that we have, we, we built probably the best stable coin out there, I think in the fullness of time. I also respect what the die people have done. That's a different approach. Totally. Um, but, but I think that, um, that we really have, we put a dent in the world and, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I was really proud to work with you on that. Yeah. Very cool. Well, well, thank you again. And, um, you know, I think it, it ties into some of these other themes, which is like, you know, uh, there's these building blocks and what are these building blocks? And, um, and, you know, obviously like, you know, representations of fiat money is like a building block. It's interesting and useful in a lot of different ways. But I, like, like I said, in the intro, like <clears throat> I want to zoom out a bit. And I think like maybe just to start, um, I'd love to have you chat a little bit about, um, you know, when, when you think about, you know, pu pu public chains, whether second generation, third generation, kind of where we are, you know, what do you think, you know, very big picture. What do you think that this technology represents? What do you think this technology enables on a on a very large kind of global, social, economic, macro kind of kind of level? I mean, it's a new system of property rights um, that basically. I mean, I think everything is becoming digital. You know, that is, say twenty twenty. You know, I mentioned this in a previous talk, but um, twenty twenty is the year that things switched over to the internet as being primary. And I think a non-obvious concept is that all wealth becomes digital. And so that's obviously true for a lot of wealth, you know, software is eating the world, but it's not obvious that it's all wealth until you start thinking, okay, it's not just, you know, PDFs, but the, uh, the, the instructions to go and print out a machine part or to deliver something or for a robot to manufacture something or for a drone to deliver something, more and more of the world will be automated. And as that happens, asymptotically, all wealth is digital because the instructions to instruct those robots are, are digital. And um, then how do you protect that kind of digital property? Well, it's all crypto. And so essentially, crypto is the basis for the next system of property rights. That goes extremely deep. You know, go to Locke and his theory of government and, um, you know, government's legitimacy comes as a, as a guarantor of property rights. But uh, that it's a different guarantor online. It's, it's uh, cryptography and it's cryptocurrencies. 
And so this is like a really foundational philosophical thing that has deep implications for many disciplines beyond just computer science or economics. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think like, you know, this, this bigger theme of, you know, when, when we think about what units of organization even are um, and, and uh, you know, how individuals kind of collectively interact in those um, and, and, and what the mediation of that is and how people can form those and so on. I, I, we're going to talk a lot more about that, but, um, you know, just at a, at, a, at, a, at a very high level, when, when you look at kind of where things are today um, and sort of, you know, I, as I sort of like to say, like we're, we're sort of entering the, like the third generation of blockchain tech right now. Yep. And, um, you know, I think like whatever, whatever kind of Moore's law equivalent you want to apply to like the evolution of blockchain tech um, over the, whatever the next 10 years, um, you know, what do you think you know, taking your concept of basically all, all property, um, you know, becomes digital uh, and, and a little bit of what you've elaborated, like, where do you think that takes us in, you know, in 10 years? And I, you know, obviously I like to remind people like 10 years is very fast, actually. It's a, it's a really fast period of time. Like, and, and even, you know, the, these big arcs of change that happen with the internet, like they happen a lot of times over like these 10 year periods and, and, it, yep. you know, it, it, it um, so it happens pretty fast, but um, I, you know, obviously like, Bitcoin's over 10 years old now, but, but where, where do you see this kind of leading us and, and what impact do you see that having in terms of the kind of social and political institutions that we, we know of today? Well, so one thing I think is that um, Bitcoin and more generally crypto becomes the option for lots of countries that don't want to be caught in the US versus China Cold War. So it becomes like the, the, um, the option of the rest of the world. Uh, because they don't, you know, the dollar is increasingly being weaponized and used to impose sanctions and deplatform people and not just quote unquote terrorists, but, but it's just a much, much, it's, it's a constantly expanding set of people. It's just, just mission creep, you know, and then conversely, mm -hmm. China's digital yuan. Well, I mean, it's, it's probably going to be quite functional. I mean, they're, they're smart and they execute and they are really serious. Yeah. Um, but you know, you may not want to have your entire, uh, you know, uh, economy based on the digital yuan also, right? That's got its own risks. Mm -hmm. And and so a demilitarized zone is attractive to everybody who can't be number one. Yeah. And so that's a very powerful thing. Like, you know, kind of the human psychology, if I can't be number one, then no one should be. Well, crypto is for you. Yeah. And, and that's very interesting, you know. Um, I was just joking to a friend of mine the other day that we're going to be giving a new term to or new definition to a rootless cosmopolitan. Uh, you know, if you know that old term is kind of an epithet against the what we call the digital nomad today, right? Somebody who didn't have roots and would move from place to place and so on. But rootless means something different in the context of a blockchain because a blockchain is a database that doesn't have a root user. Right. Um, I, I was listening to some of your comments on this on another talk. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I, the reason I came in from this angle is, um, you know, there's different ways of cutting the space, obviously, but let's say, you know, your audience, you're talking to somebody who's a AWS or, you know, a Azure person who understands databases, understands Postgres, a backend engineer, right? And their, their common kind of opening gambit is, oh, blockchain is just a slow database and I say, well, okay, let's make a table of features. Yes. Right. Performance is less, but guess what number we've massively increased? We have made it massively multi-client. We've massively increased the number of simultaneous root users. And I can prove that because what is your Postgres password? 
did you post that on the internet port 5432 you know and, and so on most people don't right you cannot read every table and row in the you know main twitter database let alone all their data warehouses and so on um those are not public data sets and then immediately the response is well we don't just trust anybody on the internet to read our data and i'm like aha so you don't trust everybody and so therefore, you know, trust is actually an implicit design consideration, right? And so then you start to get to the idea of, okay, wow, they saw this problem of having essentially a database that anybody can read every single byte, yeah. anybody with the digital asset can write to, and anybody with enough compute can write blocks to, you know, um, if, you know, if you're mining, if it's a proof of work chain, of course there's variations. And that's just this completely different world. And one thing that's kind of obvious to me is, um, Crypto is not just open source, it's open state and open execution. And, but what that means is you don't just have the, the source code visible, you have the backend, the database visible, and you can also replay the entire history of the blockchain, including every opcode. This addresses obviously many of the problems with social media, um, you know, because, you know, the, the market power that Twitter or Facebook uses to deplatform competitors, you know, which they did to Meerkat and to countless companies have, have been hit by basically being deprioritized out of the Facebook feed or the Twitter feed, or just people, individuals who've built up followers or what have you and just can't reach all of them, you know, on, on Facebook without paying ads. All of those kinds of things go away if that backend was actually open. And you know the fundamental thing about an open state backend is that um, anybody can write different clients to it. You know this is what Twitter used to be. Remember, it used to be an API and a backend. The issue was that folks started implementing new frontends that replicated all of the features of Twitter. Right. And so then what happened was they were no longer the monopoly provider of advertising, and they couldn't figure out how to monetize the API sufficiently. And so they throttled access and they nerfed it um, until it was just something that everybody came through the main client. Today though, the next Twitter um, would basically tokenize it. And so, you know, you might do, there's different ways of doing it. it. could be the internal currency of it. You could, you could tokenize messaging. There's many different ways to do it, but it's obvious that there will be a tokenized version or versions. Yeah. And uh, when that happens, it's going to happen as blockchain scale. I think ETH2 right. is promising. Some of the new L1 chains may be promising. I think actually those chains, um, rather than chasing digital gold or DeFi, they'd be right. well suited to chasing these kinds of application areas and just specializing. Go ahead. Content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, I, I, yeah, I wanted to come back to, to something you said earlier, and it, it sort of is, is on that kind of currency kind of store of value kind of kind of piece. It, you know, I, I think, um, you know, obviously people who kind of looked at the history of money realize like fiat is, 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 is sort of the exception, not the rule. Um, it's, it's a, it's a really very, very uh, relatively recent phenomenon. And for the most part, the world wanted to operate on non-sovereign forms of money for, for almost ever. Um, and, um, and so the idea that, uh, the, the much of the world would, would want to be able to, um, you know, transact or value, um, over the internet in a non-sovereign store of value is, is quite, you know, in, in some ways it's obvious that that's sort of, you know, what, what people will increasingly want to do, um, you know, not, not just to sort of get outside of the U.S. and China uh, kind of implicit kind of economic warfare, but, but just as a, as a, as a general matter. Um, yeah, as a peer-to-peer -peer thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And I think, by the way, that's the other thing that's interesting about crypto. It's the second choice for many Americans and many Chinese. 
you know, millions and millions, tens of millions of people in both countries like crypto. Yeah. And so that's a good backup plan where, you know, Americans using crypto, well, at least it's not China. Chinese using crypto, well, at least it's not America. You right. know, so, so I always look for something like that. It's like ranked choice voting or what have you, you know, it's like everybody's, you know, it's a lot of people's first choice and a lot of people's second choice. That means it's kind of a global first choice. It's a very important thing to look for. Yeah. And obviously we're going to see a lot of experimentation in, in, in synthetic algorithmic types of stable coins. We're going to see, um, I, I think, you know, synthetic fiat, digital currencies, uh, all kinds of fun stuff. So that, that'll be interesting to watch. I guess, um, you know, one of the things that I'm, I'm interested in exploring as well is, you know, the, the ultimately like the broader, you know, social and economic and political implications of this technology. We, we have a, an infrastructure which um, by design doesn't have a concept of a border. I mean, the internet itself is right. like, well, like routing tables and, and, and IP, like that, that doesn't, it doesn't care what a country is. Um, but, you know, fundamentally when, when we're now we're dealing with, you know, these, you know, this fundamental forms of, of record keeping, fundamental forms of kind of trustworthy compute, uh, you know, the, the, the sort of layer there again, it doesn't care what a border is, um, and but it, it has these uh, like underlying materials that you can work with, and um, the thing that I've really been drawn to is this idea that we're going to see, um, you know, new microeconomic units of organization um, that are created that exist entirely. Um, as sort of transnational corporate forms that are effectively, they, they entirely exist in a tokenized form and they entirely exist on chain and individuals can kind of connect into those, participate in those. I'm interested in your thoughts just at a very high level about you know um, where you see that, where you see these new corporate forms kind of birthing out of public chains uh, as well. Great question. So I think we're gonna see, um you know, on-chain incorporation is going to be very important. Uh, Aragon project is like a V1 of this and, sure. you know, their CEO is a smart guy. Yeah. Um, I think we're going to see more. And, um, you know, so I'll, I'll give a few concepts on that. You know, last year I wrote uh, that, this is before the pandemic, actually not last year, I should say 2019 now. Um, 2019, I wrote that um, San Francisco and, uh, you know, setting up in San Francisco and incorporating Delaware is now starting to be clearly wrong but we haven't yet gotten to remote first and on-chain incorporation is clearly right. right. But that's obviously the future. Now, cool. 18, you know, 12 months, not even 12 months later, remote first happened, right? Yeah, and, and I think the next step for a truly global business is on-chain incorporation, on right? And, uh, you know, so we're already part of the way there in terms of a lot of these DeFi things are there, you know, they're basically doing on-chain incorporation. The, the wallet is on-chain. They have, you know, Uniswap or something is receiving right. fees on-chain. Uh, this model of, voting. I've talked about, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, I was just saying governance voting, et cetera. Like governance voting, that's right. And, you know, this model I've talked about called SaaS for gas, mm -hmm. which is what it sounds like. It is a new SaaS model where you have an on-chain address and uh, you receive fees as somebody uses your smart contract, right? 
And why do they use your smart contract rather than fork it? Well, it may be linked to some offline code. It may simply be that they trust that that's the main one and it's not going to have some weird security bug and, and so on and so forth. It might be composed into a bunch of other things that are valuable for you too. That's right. That's right. So SaaS for gas is cool because it's very self-explanatory and it's a new business model, right? Um, where it is, uh, it's open source and open safe, but still monetizable. Every invocation, you, yeah. you know, you pay the, the, the invoker, right? Okay. And um, so I think that uh, on-chain incorporation, the way to make it happen is there's, you know, a hundred plus countries in the United Nations. And what we want to do is first write a series of blog posts that show um, every step in setting up a company. So like, for example, V1 is um, you set up a company and then you, uh, you know, it's acquired for a million dollars and you show the liquidation waterfall, right? Mm -hmm. And then V2 is you set up a company on chain and you have a series A investment and you show what that looks like. And then it's yeah. acquired and you do a liquidation waterfall. And then you yeah. start getting more and more complicated. You have Parry Passu and you have all the, the crazy Classic kinds of structures. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And the thing is, every single venture capital term arose because of some historical train crash. And then people got together and they said, actually, you know, let's avoid that by actually spelling out drag along, right? Yeah, right. Right. Then we can figure out what happens in that situation. And, and the entire cap table is basically an equation for who gets what money when. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. And then, of course, you've got, um, you know, the debt stack and, and so yeah. on and so forth. That's, that's basically just a set of equations. Right. And, um, you know, another way of thinking about it is the, the corporate charter has, a, has like almost an ACL table. Mm -hmm. Right. Which is, Absolutely. you know, for example, you've got um, you need a series A, a B and a C majority in order to issue series D shares. Right. That kind of stuff. Right. And so uh, you can actually and I have at times gone and taken corporate charters and you know, just as a VC, you, you go through a lot of this stuff. And just for me to understand it, I would enumerate it like this. And I just get a lawyer to be like, did I read the legalese correctly? Yeah. And so I kind of got my Ph.D. in corporatology or whatever doing this. Right. So. Um, I think that a very useful thing, see those terms are actually very useful terms. And one of the problems with the ICO boom of 2017 is it was just raise money online without vesting schedules or, right. or all the mechanics that the we figured out. The substance of why you have corporate forms, right? You know, it's, it's not yeah. just like we can do whatever the fuck we want and, you know, yeah. That's exactly right. So especially when it's online and you have a lower trust environment than you do with VC, right. It's actually quite important to take some of those VC concepts and put them online. Yeah. So I think a series of, you know, maybe a hundred exercises, and then you build up to something like, you know, the Facebook IPO or, or something very complicated like that. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, which has debt and it has proxies and it has the whole shebang. Right. And, uh, and you show all of that happening on chain. And now you've got like basically exercises that yep. show like the whole life cycle of a company. Right. And, and then you merge the tre the treasury is you know digital currencies right the treasury is it can be stable coins it can be and you know essentially like a corporate form is essentially you know tr a treasury and a governance around the treasury and the treasury can have its own native token which is you know call that equity and the treasury can have you know uh, obviously like obligations and it can you know spend and and, and receive and and so on so you, you kind that, of that, that's right and and so so by by doing this. What you do is you sort of build the on-chain analogs of everything, yep. and uh, and then what you do is you start uh, taking that to uh, law reviews, right? You you take right. that to um, you know folks at Yale Law, you take that to lawyers in different countries, and you say, look, you know, here's what I did. Um, I showed a bunch of scripts that essentially replicate Delaware stuff, but put it on chain. 
And uh, how can we write some law review articles on this, proposing that this be accepted right. as you know a you need uh, supports to say yeah this is valid and this is a, a form of you know you know a, a form that that has substance you've seen that in some places like even Delaware started to do some of that as well but um, that's that's and, right that's right and Delaware and Wyoming are fairly you know far sighted on this okay. but in this fashion you would then you know so you get the code that case you can do pretty relatively quickly I might put up like a bounty or something Bitcoin yep. prize to do this right. Um, do that relatively quickly. And uh, then you send it to farsighted people who have been writing blockchain regulations. Say, take a look at this. This is a translation map. It's basically like, you know, um, it's, it's like a scanner, right? Yep. You know, a scanner will take something from paper form and put it digitally. This is right. like a set of instructions. Next for it's the next exactly. leap. Yeah. It's so next I want to, I want to, uh, I want to get Ian in here. Cause I know he's Please, got of course. Yeah. a lot to say that uh, around this topic as well. So um uh, excited to uh, to invite Ian to join us uh, as well in the conversation. Ian Lee, uh, who's with IDEO, uh, IDEO VC, and 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 working in the crypto space and building in this space um, as well. Welcome, Ian. Yeah, thanks to have me. Thanks for having me. And also, I just want to point out that when you get Jeremy and, and Balaji on the same line, uh, Bitcoin breaks. 40k for the first time. Oh, so. that's oh really? Oh wow! That yeah. actually we, we, <laughs> we should do this more often. You know, awesome. At least, awesome. At least once every four years. All, all right. right, that's a good idea. I'll yeah. All right, we'll make sure we come back around at 160. How's that? Cool. <laughs> um, that's cool. awesome. Very cool. Um, Ian, um, maybe just just for for everyone's benefit, just uh, take a moment and share a little bit about yourselves and uh, about yourself, and and then I want to I want to pick up on this idea of these sort of new corporate forms. Yeah, sure. So quick background is um, got into crypto in 2014. I headed Bitcoin and, and crypto at uh, Citigroup for three years, which was a, the fastest way to get fired at a bank during that time. Um, but I've been studying open software for quite some time. And, and after reading Satoshi's white paper in 2014, I immediately realized that what it was was not a digital coin. It was actually an open fintech stack. And when you have an open fintech stack, what that could do to the financial system is is profound. So you know, I, I got kicked out of boardrooms for several months, got reinvited actually back in when uh, Goldman invested in Circle in early uh, 2015. That, that obviously created <laughs> a lot of waves and uh, effectively ran, um, you know, our, our strategies across the bank for, for those, those period of time. When I was there, I, I met a team at IDEO, which is a 40-year-old design and innovation company that was setting up a crypto team uh, in 2015. So that was called the IDEO CoLab, uh, yep. stands for Collaborative Lab. We've been working with hundreds of crypto startups and uh, enterprises over the last five years. And then two and a half years ago, we uh, spun out a venture capital fund focused on crypto and have been investing in and building uh, crypto companies ever since. So it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I know uh, I know some of the topics that we're, we're talking about are, are, are uh, obviously like near and dear for you and, and, and you know, I'm obviously excited to hear at some point about what what you're actually working on building, but maybe just um, to ladder off of what we were just talking about, like you actually had a recent uh, tweet storm and and you're sort of developing this thesis around these kind of internet cooperatives. And, um, you know, I, I'd, I'd love to kind of, you know, I think that the idea is that, that, that we were just talking about, which is sort of taking what we think of as a corporation uh, and, and how you organize that, bring that on chain, um, you know, Aragon, uh, obviously, like, you know, creating this kind of community-based, you know, treasuries and governance and other things, like, wh wh where do you where do you see this now? Yeah. So, I mean, I'd love to get your guys' take on this as well. 
you know, almost two years ago, I was, I was really fascinated by where was crypto and decentralization going to make a really big impact in people's lives, right? I mean, that, that was kind of where I started um, six years ago. And one of the things that was really interesting to me is, is IDEO had been studying for actually n- numerous years, the future of work, uh, not even related to crypto, right? And when you look at uh, a couple things, um, work itself is decentralizing. It has been over decades, right? With the rise of like the gig economy and things like that, you have more and more freelancers, like 35% of the US is freelancers today, like 50% will be that in a few years. Right. Um, you combine that with this other trend, which is that technology is starting to centralize power and centralize wealth among a very few number of people, right? So you've got these interesting platforms that are right in the middle of that, like Uber, right? Where you have some people who have become, in some cases, decabillionaires or, you know, whatnot. And many of these people on these platforms that are contributing resources or services to these platforms are often below the poverty line. I mean, you know, we, we live in Silicon Valley and, and there's people like sleeping in their, their cars, you know, driving Ubers, right? And this is not specific to Uber. This is happening everywhere, right? 50% of jobs are expected to be automated in the next like, you know, decade. Um, so you, you look at those two kind of seemingly unrelated things, right? Work decentralizing, technology centralizing. Mm-hmm. And you, you wonder, doesn't there have to be, isn't there a better way? Yeah. And so one of the things that I've been looking at um, for the last year and a half and researching into is this, this, this topic that I call crypto cooperatives internet-based cooperatives enabled by crypto, which is, can you decentralize organizations uh, and the ownership of these organizations to the people that actually provide value to these platforms? And I think we actually have a lot of uh, precedent for this to actually be very excited about the potential, even though there's a lot of work to be done. So the, 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 the concept of cooperatives is not a new thing. They were actually invented in 1498, so 500 years yeah. ago. I mean, it is, a, it is a corporate form, right? It's just yeah. at the end of the day, it's sort of how, how do people uh, get together and organize their work and, and right. bear the fruit out right. of their work? You know, R- REI, Ace Hardware, Vanguard, AAA Insurance, Visa was once a cooperative. The sure. Green Bay Packers was a cooperative starting in 1923. Yeah. Like 15% of the world belonged to cooperatives and cooperatives today, which are mostly in agriculture and retail, employ 10% of the global workforce. Now, here's, here's the question though. Why haven't cooperatives effectively been able to, uh, why hasn't that model shown up in technology? Well, because ownership of technology is, has not been you know, very easy. So going back to what Balaji said, you can actually now encode the ownership of a enterprise organization into these crypto you know, tokens and yep. distribute that across the workforce. So that's, that's yep. what I think the big opportunity is here. Right, right. So it, it's, it's, yeah, it's many things. It's sort of the, the mechanism that is, that is needed so that you actually have a, a trustworthy infrastructure to know kind of what ownership is, how, how, how people are contractually entitled to different things to, to make decisions. Uh, but to you know to, to have the actual participation in that be dramatically more uh, you know distributed. Yeah, and here's here's the you know the big idea is that you know could the the provocation is could crypto cooperatives start to solve 
massive challenges that we have around the world right now and, and that are creating really big problems, you know, second order problems around wealth inequality, right? Yeah. Um, 99% of the world uh, now owns the same amount as the top 1% or, or maybe I should have said that the opposite way. Right. Um, the other thing is that, you know, when you look into the research of cooperatives, cooperative models have shown to be more resilient and actually outperform in some cases traditional corporations. You know, like in right. 2008, when the financial crisis happened, um, credit unions, for example, had a 5x lower failure rate than corporate banks. Yeah. Um, you know, many corporate uh, cooperatives, I think there was a study um, that the five-year survival rate of a cooperative is 20 to 30x higher than a traditional business. Mm -hmm. And so this, these systems, the combination of the infrastructure like Aragon and things, combined with the design and implementation actually within sort of particular work contexts like freelancers or sure. creators of influencers on like Markets. TikTok and stuff like that. Yeah, like uh, Instagram, this is all connected. Like um, the combination of these things can start to, you know, more equitably distribute sort of wealth and value. And number two, make these systems much more resilient long-term. I'd be, I'd be interested that, uh, that that's super helpful. I'd be interested in both of you um, and, and your perspective. I mean, I, I think, you know, what we saw with the internet uh, in the past, whatever, 20 years is, you know, things became possible that people didn't know were going to be possible. Like you, you, and, and, you know, like, for example, like fundamental new communications utilities emerged out of just like simple pieces of software, mobile devices, billions of people connect to those. Like just that, that was unimaginable some you know some period of time uh, ago. Um, is this a similar thing? Like, are we getting the building blocks in place where you know, I whatever people call it, like the Uber moment, where someone just like synthesized enough interesting features together that uh, that were right in front of everyone, like a GPS and 3G and and a reasonable UX and and like you know ha has such a profound change and people can participate in it. Is is that is it something like that where where you know you know, some group of people are going to envision maybe, maybe Balaji, maybe it's, it's a social media platform that is, that is sort of owned and operated as a platform cooperative that is built on decentralization or, or is there something that happens where there's just massive scale and success and it, and it just works and it's independent of nation states. It just is out on chain and you've got mass participation and value creation and so on. Like, how does this, how does this how does this kind of burst into uh, into being in the same way that certain things like social media or other uh, other dimensions of the internet kind of burst into existence? Well, so I have, I have a lot of thoughts to say. I actually have a book that I've been writing. So if you want to right. follow me, um, I'll, I'll I'll tweet it out at some point. But um, so tentative title of the book is called The Network State, and um, the idea is that you know we have mechanisms to start new communities and new companies and now even new currencies but not yet new cities and new countries. And I think new cities, there's actually already legal processes for doing this where you can go and you know, take unincorporated land, for example, and incorporate it. And uh, with you know, Starlink and with um, social networks, you could imagine actually building a community in the cloud that would then crowdfund territory and build a city. You'd, you'd do the whole city in VR before you build a single brick. So you argue over everything in the cloud, you build an actual community before you move there. This is actually similar to the 1800s when people would move out and build communes and so on in, in, yeah. in the, uh, the west of the US. I think to get to like something like new countries, you're going to need new, new techniques. 
Um, most importantly, you're going to need international recognition. And that might seem crazy, but think about how far Bitcoin has come in the last 10 years. Yeah. Um, if you have a community of a million or 10 million people that considers themselves to be a digital nation as a footprint worldwide and is serious enough about it for long enough and does all the diplomacy necessary, I do think that you will get a new country recognized in the UN, just like you've got new currencies that are being recognized on Bloomberg and, and so on, uh, you know, exchanges, right? So I think that's a mechanism by how that happens. Um, you know, Ian, to your point earlier, by the way, on influencers, you know, I'm an investor in like tryroll.com, which is doing social money. And I do believe that, I mean, that's just one, but I do believe that um, it is going to be influence. I mean, this is maybe obvious, but the next social media platforms will be rating influencers from the existing ones and giving them a better experience. So locals.com, there's actually another company called Circle, as you, which you may know, is like a, like a, uh, <laughs> it's a different, it's a, it's a, um, it's a creator's platform, right? Uh, like circle.so, I believe. And uh, there's, um, you know, there's, there's also newsletters, you know, like Substack and Ghost. Yeah. And so people are starting to pull their communities off of these platforms that, you know, the, the free model was actually wonderful 15 years ago because, wow, you can freely communicate with everybody. But now free is table stakes and we want the better than free model. Yeah. We're actually getting remunerated for all this work, right? right. And um, so, yeah, I think that's an obvious thing. And it's not just also remunerated. You know, some people think that major social networks have too much moderation. Others think there's too little, um, or you know, too much censorship or too little, whatever. Um, but actually, what really people are saying is, I don't feel that my community is properly like flipping the dials. Like I, I you know, I, I think this place is too big, and you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not in control enough. And a smaller community that's run by a de facto, or, or not de facto, but an actual influencer has a very clear set of rules associated with it. I think you're going to see way more of those. The big social networks will still exist, but it'll be sort of war zones that people transit through on route to these more monetizable communities. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, am I kidding? I'm not even kidding, really, right? They're digital right. war zones, basically. So there's like these, like I, what I sort of think of as like the horizontal platforms uh, kind of kind of universe that could move into these entirely, you know, digital uh, forms, um, and then, but then I kind of come back to like your your basic corporation, right? So um, you know, uh, it's a corporation. People invest in it. People work for it. They make something. Maybe they make it in software. Maybe they make a physical thing. Uh, they sell it. It goes. It can be sent around the world or what 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 have you. Just you know, the the kind of you know globalization is created this way where people can like create products, sell them anywhere, all this kind of stuff. How do you like? How do we envision like, you know, beyond a digital or, or, or far short of a digital nation state, I should say, um, a, you know, just making it possible. I think this gets back to what, what Balaji you were talking about earlier, just like that, that people figure out that they can form something and form capital in it and have governance and have that be done entirely on chain and, and create things and that individuals can kind of contract to that. Uh, you know, all of the sharing economy, like you can contract to that and know you're getting that appropriate remuneration in stable coins and tokens or, or, or what have you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like one thing is, you know, an interesting view on what a company is, is it's a contract execution engine. I mean, yep. if you've ever sold a company, um, there's a diligence process where you have to assemble a folder with every contract the company has ever signed. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you haven't done that periodically during the life of the company, um, there's some contract somebody signed and it's floating around an email and so on. And it's actually kind of an antiquated process. I mean, it's kind of amazing to think that people could ever do this in the 
paper age where you have to make yeah. copies. Like there's literally just a file folder with every contract the company's ever signed. It's actually insane to think that we were able to operate before the internet at all. You know, they still but, keep copies of all of that in in in, in paper in Japan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, like it, it, it's kind of crazy to think that there would be an archive with all the important pieces of paper on the company. And those would be the only copies of it. Um, and it's also kind of crazy, I think, in 10 or 20 years, people think, whoa, they just had like a warren of PDFs, you know, like on DocuSign. And that's crazy. Right. right. The natural right. next thing is, right, that this is obviously all of these ought to be, you know, contracts and code, right? That you can, oh, Exactly. You can that's right. Audit, it should be like run a piece of code to audit it, sort of like people scan open source libraries and say, is this toxic, uh, open, uh, toxic code because it's got GPL in it or whatever. That, that's right. And, you know, just, just for example, you know, sign and wire, right? That's the same thing on the blockchain, yeah. you know? Like right. you're basically presenting your digital signature and initiating the payment. And if you do it from your official corporate account, like, you know, circle.eth, for example, if you use ENS, right, then it's like, it's like an official stamp. Yeah. I publicly committed to something. The blockchain has witnessed it. Um, there's just so much cool stuff that comes out. And of course, you can eventually zero knowledge encrypt it or what have you. But but that's like the right way to go. And then you get, uh, you know, what, what's interesting is it becomes easier to um, to sell companies, you know, because, sure. yeah. Yeah. you know, what, one way of thinking about it, when you sell a car, right, to somebody, what do you do? You just hand over the keys, you know, and it's taken for oh, granted that they can offer uh, RMV and titles and. Uh, and okay, sure, yeah. sure. No, you're right. Th that does. That's true, right? But but basically, you know, a car is a machine that you can just sell to somebody and they pay whatever thousand dollars for it and they could just turn the key and it works, right? The original operator usually doesn't have to be there. Um, a company isn't like that uh, yet. A company is not a machine that you can just sell. But what we saw but, with Sushi Swap was pretty interesting, right? It was like, the, you know, here's this thing and who's got the keys and who's got the multi-sig keys. And like, we're now, we're actually appointing other people with the multi-sig keys. And now this, this machine has just been passed over to another set of operators. I mean, that's like, I think the, the closest thing we have in the, in the, in recent times to something that's, like that. Yeah. That's right. And so I think that you're going to see more of these things where with smart contracts, a crucial aspect, I mean, you can automate setting up and tearing down software, right? You can automate APIs, integration testing. What was hard to automate was the flow of money. You know, you couldn't deploy easily on that. And now you can, and a program can actually hold money. And so what you can do is actually build a digital machine. You know, for example, a good example would be something like zamzar.com. Right, that's just file conversion, and that's just doing you know MP3 to M3, M4A, and it's got like 50 file conversion things. Mm -hmm. That's something where with smart contracts you could turn that into a digital machine yeah. that's literally just a cache generating sort of engine. The, the, the Definity kind of uh, uh, vision a little bit is like these. They're uh, I don't know what they they call them, uh, uh, but basically like it's 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 much more fulsome. Like you could actually have like a, a media conversion on chain. And that's could, right. And, of that and, scene, uh, just be some the canisters, you know, as they call them, right? But um, that's right. And the other thing you get out of that is you get on-chain accounting. Yeah. So now you can basically look at five years of quote audited financials, so long as they use the, you know, let's say somebody else's auditing package or what have you. Yeah. Um, you've got a consistent format and it's cryptographically signed and it's very hard to falsify. And so you know exactly what their growth rate is. Um, I mean, coin market cap is so interesting because you know crypto is such this odd space where you can see public numbers on the traction of almost everything right that's that's not the case for drones that's not the case for other industries that don't have all their numbers on chain we take that for granted in our space but it's actually quite atypical right 
And I think that that aspect, you know, I thought it was crazy actually many years ago when uh, there's a company called Buffer that was trying to, that, that, that did this. I mean, it's a good company, right? But it's being like super transparent. I was like, that's kind of weird, you know, that you're doing that as like a small company because there's a lot of, you know, small company, right. as you know, like startups are hard, yeah, right? Yeah, like classically, like VCs are like, you know, you know, it's good to be private. You don't have to, all your dirty laundry is not out there, you know. That's right. But but what they have done, which is interesting, is they turned it into essentially a content marketing gimmick for themselves and an accountability mechanism. And the um, the upside of just taking the hit, so to speak, on transparency was they took the hit like once and then they were sort of inured to it, right? Like, yep, we failed this quarter or yeah, we succeeded this quarter. Now, what I don't like about it is if they really succeeded, um, you know, then it, it reduces their leverage. You know, for example, like um, this is not the biggest thing. I'm not saying that every company needs to do this, but Google for a very, very long time did not disclose what percentage it was taking out of AdSense to its publishers. It's just like, hey, you put the switch there, you're getting free money. We're not going to tell you for taking 50% or 70% or 30% or whatever it is. And eventually they disclosed it under a lot of pressure. But, you know, you can't keep any numbers like that proprietary in such an environment. And maybe that's good overall, but it is a constraint. It's something new, you know. Um, anyway, Ian, I want you to get a, get a word. Yeah, no, Ian, I, no. I would love to hear you, you, yeah. you talk about this too, just like, you know, the, the immediacy of like, how do we, how do we create these today? Um, and yeah. No, I mean, just piggybacking off of what, what Balaji is saying, I think, I think when, when media starts to get encoded on chain, you know, all those things happen. And um, what we've learned from, you know, crypto recently around like DeFi, for example, is that it enables higher order composability, right? And and when you were asking about like, is this going to be a moment where like the internet, there are things that get created like Instagram, TikTok, which we not necessarily could have like predicted, you know, 10 years ago, I think that's going to be the case. And I think that that's going to be enabled by a range of things, including composability. So like DeFi, right? You, you have exchange protocols like Uniswap and SushiSwap and other things. You've got, you know, interest earning, you know, protocols like Yearn Finance and whatnot. You've got lending protocols like Aave and Compound and they're all composable. And those that composability enables things on top of it, whether they're centralized products or more decentralized protocols. You take that same thing and you port that over to something like media, for example, which I think is really, really interesting because it has enormous kind of um, opportunities and, and potential related to social networks, social media, you know, art. You know, there's a lot of things going on right there right now um, in NFTs. Yeah. And the idea of composable media that creates composable media experiences, whether it's like new kinds of social networks, new social media experiences, you know, is there kind of like a composable YouTube or a YouTube experience that based on composable media? And then what happens when that composable media, you can take some of that and then put that into Aave and get a loan on it. Like we're going to start to see some really, really weird stuff. Like, let me- So what do you mean by composable media, Ian? Did you define that? Sorry. Yeah. Like, let, let me give you an example. So like, let's say there's an artist. I actually was an artist uh, by training in undergrad. And then I realized that I, I wouldn't be able to make it. Um, I probably wouldn't be alive right now. But, but well, you made the idea of that's pretty good, but go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, so in this world, it's, it's really interesting. Like if you're a really, really um, talented artist, let's say you tokenize your art and you start to sell that via an NFT on like OpenSea or, or you know, Rarible or something like that, right? Um, let's say you go a step further, right? That media, which is an art piece, 
is an NFT that is composable. And let's say you can also encode into that certain on-chain revenues that go into a DAO, for example, and that DAO ends up being owned by your followers. Now that NFT also has like financial values. So let's say you have, you know, someone buys an NFT from you, or let's say you, you have some of these art pieces still in your collection. Maybe you can lend that out into Aave or something and get via Aave or Maker or something like that, like a hundred thousand dollar loan to then in DAI or, or USDC or something to then uh, build, you know, credit to then in, reinvest in yourself and the growth of your business. This kind of stuff was is not possible really in Web two, right? But because of the 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 fact that media gets put on chain, that these financial kind of things can be encoded within that, and because of the composability of media combined with you know this ecosystem rich ecosystem of DeFi that is also permissionless, these these new possibilities emerge. And so I think like for example these these potential hybrids between social media networks or social influencer networks and fintech now start or, or like even gaming and fintech start to become possible uh, another good example in, in gaming right if you're like a 15 year old kid let's say you're in the philippines some of this is happening right now around like axie infinity or this thing called yield guild you know you're a 15 year old kid in the philippines you don't have a bank account you love playing uh, blockchain based games you earn some nfts through playing those games you put those NFTs into a wallet, that wallet and those assets end up being worth like $10,000. Then you start to ask yourself the question, like what is the difference between an NFT game wallet and a bank account? And, and that sort of insight starts to lead to really interesting possibilities that, that we haven't seen before. Mm -hmm. Those seem, yeah, I mean, the, the, a lot of what you're describing does feel like I mean, even even those things are kind of imminent in the next year, right? Um, yeah, I mean, they're in some cases they're already happening, yeah, um, yeah, which yeah. is really exciting. Because so the, the truth is that these these problems and these needs uh, for people they've existed for decades, and so that's what I like to see is when there's a latent or existing human need combined with you know the new capability of crypto that uh, we can now offer. Yeah. Well, uh, one last question for, for both you guys, and um, uh, obviously we could just go on, uh, on on some of this is sort of, I think as, as we get into some of this, like these on-chain entities, uh, you know, whether they're, they're you know, uh, collaborative, uh, economic, uh, you, know, you know, independent of a nation state kind of exist on-chain, um, like rubber meets the road, like people live places where they're, you know, you, you have like, there's militaries and borders and guns and taxes and like, um, is, is your view, like these things exist and kind of meld with that uh, just by virtue of how property is classified, how securities are classified, how all that happens or, you know, what is that intersection with, um, you know, let's just call it like national or local jurisprudence and, and, and these forms, is it a matter of like, we just need some case law to start getting established on some of this, like where, where, where do we go uh, on that? I'll start with you, Balaji. Well, I mean, you know, one huge difference here is that uh, when you disrupt Microsoft, Microsoft can't shoot you. <laughs> so <laughs> that is, that is a big difference. Um, but uh, I actually think that um, there's a whole envelope of possible outcomes. One thing that has been kind of interesting is that um, 
there is a large group of people within Western countries and within the US that are activists and advocates for this technology. And we, see, we saw that with FinCEN, right? We see that on Twitter. In fact, I would go so far as to say that, um, you know, I, I think with BTC versus MMT, the battle will really be joined because there are people who are very big advocates for MMT, but there aren't that many people who are advocates against cryptocurrencies. Mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, what, what I mean by that is it, there isn't grassroots opposition to cryptocurrencies. Right. Right. There's grassroots support, right? And that support yeah. importantly comes not just from companies, but it comes from many individuals. It comes from uh, overseas. It comes from every, pretty much every country in the world at this point. And, and it comes from activists. It comes from nonprofits like EFF. It comes from academics like MIT. And um, it comes from financiers now, legacy financial institutions like Fidelity, right? So we're, we're really starting to build a fairly big coalition. Into a lot of, of the fabric of society and the economy. That's right. And I, and I think we're going to win 55-45 or 60-40 or something like that. I, I don't think it's, it's going to be easy. And I'm not saying it's going to be without reversals. But it just makes too much sense to digitize this stuff. And it's fundamentally a technological advance, you know? Mm -hmm. And so... Ultimately, um, you know, it, there, there's lots of different models, and, and I can give some historical ones. One of them is the encryption wars of the, yeah, totally. uh, you know, the 90s, right? And that was quite a big tug of war, and, and there, were, there were a lot of things thrown around, but ultimately you did get, you know, SSL, right? Yeah. And what happened was the US government completely U-turned, and they went from saying, oh, encryption's a munition, you can't right. use it, right. to, have you seen HTTPS.CIO.gov? Now the US government requires every US government website to use right. you know, strong encryption because they want to protect, right? The same and, thing's gonna happen with crypto and zero knowledge proofs and all this, right? It's just gonna be like, duh, this is like so much better. We should all be using this, right? And we've actually already seen a flip of that where um, even a few years ago, you probably experienced this yourself, but you know, when the big four audit a crypto company, they use the blockchain yeah. as a gold right. standard they of truth. Nodes and they operate the nodes and they're like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and think about that. From 20, in 2013, people are saying Bitcoin is a scam. Right. Less than five years later, they're saying it is the gold standard of truth for accounting. It's triple entry bookkeeping where we right. can check your internal numbers against an external standard of truth yeah. and reconcile that way. That is, that is amazing. Right. And, and, and it's just underreported in terms of how important that is. You know? yeah. And so, so I think that the, the ineluctable logic of it, this is, um, this is something which is technically superior. And I do believe that at least in some countries, it will win the day. Now, yeah. I also think it's possible, like New York State has actually um, you know, driven a lot of companies to, to launch in New York last, just simply because the bit license is actually fairly onerous. You know? And um, this is possible that there's places, jurisdictions that sure. take you know, a more aggressive view. Yeah. But, but I think net, the world's a big place and a lot of places are going to see that right. wealth is created by cryptocurrency is going to want that to come there. Ian, your thoughts? Yeah. I just, I'll just make a short comment, which is, I think, you know, piggybacking off of what you were saying earlier about how the world is, is now living on the internet as a result of COVID and stuff, we, we are going to start to see new behavioral patterns that, that we haven't seen before, namely um, this rise in pseudonymity. And like, um, you know, I think Balaji, you wrote, you wrote something or tweeted something about the pseudonymous economy, right? I think we're going to start to see more of that where people actually have multiple identities, like a named identity and a pseudonymous one. Like you can be both uh, Clark Kent and Superman or Bruce Wayne and Batman at the same time, um, you know, in the, in the digital world. And 
Um, I think I think we're going to see stuff like that, where you know, in in certain cases, to to uh, address maybe some of those issues where you might live in a state or in a country that isn't as supportive of cryptocurrencies, maybe that starts to go to your pseudonymous identity as opposed to your real right. world. Right. Awesome, man. This is a great conversations, guys. I, I uh, uh, we've gone over my uh, my typical time because I think this is just so much fun to talk about all this. Um, so I, I just I want to thank both you guys for for joining today, and uh, we'll uh, look forward to doing this again. There was a correction that also happened during our. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it might have been one. Up, I think it might have been right after I joined. So maybe. Uh -oh. that, all right, Ian. You're never. <laughs> no. Oh, it dropped three thousand dollars. Well, you know, it, it was rising when you guys were on, and then when I showed up, it, it cracked. So it's fine. The long-term trend is up, so that's fine. <laughs> Lesson learned. All right, thanks, guys. Thank All you, right. everybody. See you later. Thanks. All right. Uh, until next time, stay well, stay safe, and stay informed.